0: Alright, we're doing it. Doing it. Ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. We are no longer having to say blue lines at the beginning of every episode. Yeah, they're purple
1: now.
2: They're purple lines. Gross. Also, Audacity was bought out by a Russian firm and just like every other piece of fucking social media these days. And I'm sure all our audio is getting uploaded directly to Putin's fucking, you know, Android. Putin's like, Man, I
0: really, really want to know what Pillow Screen Radio is up to nowadays. Yeah, I bet we could get it. We get a sponsorship from him, honestly. Yeah, get me those strong jawed motherfuckers on my phone right now. I need to know what they're saying.
2: The cool logo, like just me getting a uh, fucking judo chopped by Putin, and it's <laughs> yeah, and it's like fucking what the uh, what's that called the the white martial arts thing that you wear? A robe? You. A
1: robe?
2: No, there's a word for it. A kimono. It's like a a robe. A kimono. Yeah, my my karate kimono. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like a white robe. They're so
0: fucking uncultured.
1: <laughs> I I have beef with martial arts. Okay, I used to do Taekwondo at the YMCA when I was a child. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs> it's one of those sports where you don't like have to like try out. Like, you get cut. I mean, I know I've already said like I'm the best athlete out of the three of us, but there okay. are a few things that I'm not good at. And okay. Yeah, I just remember crying like every time I would go do that stupid class.
0: Were you able to like chop the wood block in half?
1: I didn't really get up to that belt <laughs> color or whatever.
0: <laughs> the belt, the wood chopping belt color?
2: <laughs> Brown belt? I don't know. <laughs> I was an orange belt at the height of my taekwondo career. I think a lot of the people that went
0: all the way to like black belt, they would be like a 14-year-old black belt. And you'd hear about them in middle school or high school and be like, yo, that actually sounds really cool. But it turns out they're the biggest fucking nerds you've ever met in your life. That's what I'm saying. Like,
1: they'll take anybody. You just go, like, the vans for whatever, like, Tiger Martial Arts, just come pick up the kids from elementary school and take them to their little after school program to do Taekwondo or whatever. And they're not (laughs) as... They're not if even some badass. some year old
0: kid <laughs> came up to you and was like, I am an expert. I am a master of this craft. Would you believe
2: him? No. Yeah, just like throat punch him and he'd <laughs> sit down and cry. It's like it's this like scene a...
0: from It's Always Sunny where they just beat the shit out of a bunch of like 13-year-old kids. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> You are here with the OG crew, Alex, Jim, Mandy,
2: and
0: that's it. That's all we got.
2: And Eddie. Eddie's our producer. He's here. Everyone (laughs) say hello, Eddie. He doesn't have a microphone. He can't say bye back. Edward. Thank you, Edward. Uh,
0: Yeah, so the four of us, Eddie, our overlord, our overseer, uh, the agent, the spy, the contractor who sends me all my Soros checks. And sends my uh, dick pic straight to Putin. That's uh, that's what our producer does, ladies and gentlemen. So the four of us today, we are talking about one of our favorite subjects, capital L, libertarianism. And I'm super excited for it. Libertarianism, baby's first ideology, a.k.a. a 15-year-old's wet dream. AKA, you were slightly above average intelligence in middle school, but that's also when you peaked and now you don't understand why people don't take you seriously anymore.
2: It's an ideology you ascribe to because you lack either the patience to think through a thought to like the, the sentence at the end of it, or you are scared of things that are complicated in general and you want the <laughs> world to be simple. So you have an ideology that reflects that. Yeah, it's, it's the ostrich head in the sand version of conservatism
0: compress all of your ideology to like, uh, the individual should be
2: sovereign in all things. I'm
0: not going to explain that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Great guy. Thanks.
2: (laughs) Yeah. If the most uh, political reflection you ever did was when you stood up and put your hand over your heart at a baseball game for the national anthem, and you just thought about bald eagles having sex and, and freedom, uh, being like the only word that you knew how to say over and over again, like that's the ideology you eventually grew up to hold. See, I'm coming at you with, like, a slightly
0: different flavor. I'm coming at you with, like, the titan of industry going to, like, construct, you know, an entire edifice of civilization upon the backs of, you know, mighty entrepreneurs. That's the type of libertarianism I know and love.
1: You know what I think? The Taekwondo kids and the libertarians are the same people.
0: Oh, I, of course. Like, of I course understand. they're the That's same people. the Taekwondo,
1: people. like – they think they can fuck people up.
0: They think they can enforce all like property laws on their own, like little kingdom that they have of their, you know, 1200 square foot white picket fence kind of house. And they're going to have an AR-15 in the front yard and like guards posted at every corner. That's uh, it's their version of a perfect world.
2: If you want a really great thing to do on a Saturday night, you got to look up the Libertarian Party's uh Uh, presidential debates (laughs) those things that's hilarious it's like uh it looks like a price is right setting or something like a game Mm -hmm. show and there's like 40 people in the audience (laughs) and they clap for fucking everything everyone says and you're like how do you choose between any of these people like you guys just agree on everything i feel like mandy would love
0: it because it's 2021 and they're all wearing suits straight out of the 70s yeah just
2: fucking (laughs) uh the the kind you get at like dillard's where it's just this like like, off the rack yeah (laughs) corduroy and polka dots Flat. and shit like that <laughs> what was the guy gary johnson you remember gary johnson's uh gas yeah. during the? yeah didn't they kind... have one of those libertarian debates where they're all arguing about whether or not
0: like driver's licenses should exist and he went on stage and he was like actually i think they
2: might should exist and then he just got like
0: boo boo yeah. Fucking <laughs> suck."
2: <laughs> yeah the the one where he was talking he like sexualized mount everest and he was talking about how <laughs> Mount Everest was, uh, he said he didn't climb Mount Everest. It was, or he didn't conquer Mount Everest. It's more like she was a beautiful lady and he got to peek up her skirt.
0: What was it like to conquer Mount Everest? Well, I did not conquer Mount Everest. She lifted her skirt and I got in there and got a peek and it was
2: really cool. And it was like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's a clip we can cut in for. Yeah, it'll be good. So I think all of us grew up
0: one, either believing in libertarianism at some point or being so close to it that you could probably like spit off Ayn Rand quotes just off the top of your head. I think a lot of people go through that phase at some point in their life where they're they're like looking for something that's like not the status quo and you think you're slightly intellectual and you kind of latch onto the very first thing that pops up in your newsfeed and it somehow is usually some kind of like Atlas shrugged quote. And like we all have a certain type of flavor of libertarian. So what I'd like to ask both of you is like, who is your libertarian? Who's the one that's in your life that you have to deal with day in and day out? And you like bang your head against the wall because you can't convince them that actually your entire political ideology is for children.
2: I had an old teacher who stopped teaching and got really rich out of nowhere. And magically his politics changed to argue for minimum taxation and... (laughs) maximum freedom and wonder why that happened. Yeah, and I stay in touch with him and he wants me to like come work for him or something and he's just all over Facebook every time we text he's just talking about how socialism is the the biggest threat to American democracy and imperialism is something we need to pursue because uh that's the only way we can spread uh maximum freedom values but also he doesn't want to be taxed for anything. It's this weird balance of uh it's just it's just overnight like poorly thought out like rapidly taken on belief that he gets taxed too much that's all it is it's like pure i don't like this i don't like how much money i have to pay in taxes that's it all of his other stuff is just neocon ideology and he can't think through the the marriage of uh foreign policy with his libertarian shit I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like it, it's the exact inverse graph. Like you could do a supply demand curve, except it's a uh, like income level and acceptable percentage tax level, in his opinion. <laughs> Whenever you reach a certain material
0: status, you start like collecting all of these different attributes and all of these different little thoughts that you have about um, taxation and random shit like that. And then you have to like post facto construct an ideology around that in order to support You know, your continued position within whatever system that we're currently working in because, you know, you're enjoying it. You're getting paid really well, making lots of money. You have your McMansion out in the suburbs of fucking like Seattle or something. Who gives a shit? And libertarianism is like the perfect ideology for just mashing whatever the fuck you want to all over it because, you know, there's no actual like intellectual (laughs) backbone to any of this outside of, you know, objectivism or something. Who are your libertarians in your life? Oh, dude, my libertarian is a non-commissioned officer that I worked with semi-recently. He was 36 years old, but legitimately looked like he was 15. And I remember being really surprised about the fact that I had to uh, kind of like instruct him on how he's supposed to communicate to people just like on a very basic level. And I sat him down multiple times and I was like, hey man, I really, really need you to give a shit about what people think about you because you're embarrassing all of us. Like this is tragic, (laughs) frankly. He was the type of person who, (laughs) like I said, peaked in middle school, thought he was really smart. He was like that type of person who's like, always told he was really smart and like good at school and stuff, but never actually had to try to do it. So by the time he got into adulthood, all he had was an intelligent all he had was intelligence but he had like no work ethic to back it up. So he thought he could just kind of like talk his way out of just about everything. And the amount of messes I had to clean up for this guy was just fucking unbearable. Long story short, he ended up getting fired because he said something extremely racist to one of our African American soldiers and uh, had to do like sworn statements on like the entire situation. It was a fucking
2: great time. Yeah, that was the in- insinuation of the N-word thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was insane. (laughs) And we would like it would be
0: the type of thing where we'd be sitting in the office just doing nothing and he would like slam his hand down on the table and be like, fucking Clintons. And he'd be like, dude, what? Like what are you saying right now? (laughs) Like we're working on leave forms. Like I need you to shut the fuck up and focus for a second, please.
1: Well I'm just a simple country girl. Most of the people that I know are, like, Trump supporters die hard, so, uh, but I did, the first time I ever actually met one of these folks was in college, and there's really only one thing you need to know about him, which is that his superlative uh, was that he was voted the most likely to have a three-week-old Italian sub under his desk. Wait, really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I changed I changed it to Italian sub. It wasn't actually an Italian sub, but if I say <laughs> what the real sandwich was, it would give it away. It's <laughs> like a oh, local thing. <laughs> That's
0: great. Most likely to have an Italian sub.
1: Yeah. Uh, the second one was my roommate when I lived in Alaska, and he was the type who I think mm. was a libertarian just because he like, liked guns, um, and that seemed to be his, the only thing he cared about. He had all these guns, In the apartment, and always just said, You know, whatever happens, like, no one's ever gonna rob us, no one will ever break in. (laughs) Literally, my car got stolen out of our driveway.
0: Is he one of these like castle doctrine kind of guys? It's
1: useless. Oh, yeah, yeah, he would say that all the time. Like, if someone breaks in, I'll just shoot them.
0: Jason Bourne on everyone. Whenever like someone knocks on the door and is like, Who is this? And you just start fucking like tucking and rolling through the hallways, (laughs) pulling up your AR 15, shit like that. Fucking love it.
2: Yeah, that's a essential part of being an American is just being fucking terrified of everyone because that gives you a confirmation of your identity <laughs> as a man. What are you drinking? Are you drinking out of a shot glass? Oh, yeah. So I'm actually drinking
0: coffee moonshine out of a shot glass. <laughs>
2: I'm drinking
0: coffee moonshine. I'm it's drinking coffee. Delectable. It's because I also don't have anything else except for straight vodka and can't can't do it but all right so we're talking libertarianism today and whenever I first was putting together this episode I was fucking heated just about all of the research that I was doing because I have all of like I have like a whirlwind of thoughts about libertarianism because I've been like drenched in it since I was young it's what I grew up around it was kind of like the prevailing the id of you know my young adult life and so I was spiraling out over libertarianism for forever, and I realized this is going to be a two-parter. So, for all our listeners, be prepared. Part one, right now, we're going to cover kind of like some of the history of libertarianism, where it came from, and why it got popular. Part two is going to be the actual like theory behind libertarianism and why it's dumb as shit. But let's go ahead and get started. So. A lot of people don't know this, but the original libertarians were actually cool as hell. The word libertarian has been around since about 1789, but the first time it was actually used as a political term. I think before that it was used in like philosophy or something. I I don't know. The first time it was used as a political term was in 1857 by a French communist named Joseph de Jacques, who was sending letters to the mutualists pierre joseph Proudhon, who i like a lot even though he's a little bit misogynistic i'll, I'll give everyone that but de jacques wrote, saying he's a little racist if it's 1857 it's like they all are yeah, yeah they all are at that point <laughs> um so de jacques wrote an anarchist publication called les libertaires and in english this was libertarian journey of social movement and self-described as a libertarian in new york was active in an association of French, German, and English socialists and communists that would eventually go on to form the International Workingmen's Association, the IWW. I remember telling this to the aforementioned libertarian, 15-year-old libertarian, who's actually 36 non-commissioned officer and highly racist. I remember telling him this, and he was like, uh, no that doesn't make any sense. Libertarian has always meant like freedom loving and like that kind of shit. I was like, Hey man, I don't know how to break it to you, but they were all communists in the beginning.
2: Well, yeah, that is the thing is technically libertarianism as a philosophy, if you take it just as being freedom oriented, it doesn't necessarily mean anarcho-capitalist. Like it could mean, no. um, yeah, it could mean uh like the eradication of communism, which is yeah, where it so- came from. So,
0: Like the early libertarians were left libertarians, usually like libertarian communists is what they would be called. And they were like heavily kind of... It's like anarcho-communists, like
2: predecessors or something.
0: Yeah. Anarcho-communism, like mutualism, just general anarchism. That was like kind of the foundation of libertarianism in general. And the sense that they had was that they wanted to tear down oppressive hierarchies, which is like the base of anarchism. Tear down oppressive hierarchies without... Replacing it with the uh, the oppressiveness of the state, right? And they're they're looking at Soviet Russia in 1917, and they're like, ah, oh, this is a little sketchy. I'm not sure I like this. And um, it's like those types of people were the ones that formed the basis of the early libertarians. But this is completely different from the all absolute fucking dweebs that we were talking about earlier today. But you can still see. Those same underpinnings of like individual sovereignty and kind of like focus the emphasis on the rights of the individual um, in the face of oppressive hierarchy, right? You can kind of see some of the some of the give and take a little bit. So, how does this actually translate over into the libertarianism that we know and love today? How do we go from a bunch of strong jawed, bushy bearded titans of libertarian communism to a bunch of spindly taekwondo nerds
2: uh capitalist media interference <laughs> um protestant american protestantism um what else uh american militarism which worked uh i guess glove on hand you might say in reverse with uh american capitalism yeah any of those things it, maybe that's my guess oh yeah
0: you're right on the money and it like if you would just say uh because it works because they made more money that way be like yeah right on the hit the nail on the head got it actually medicare for all infringes on my liberty to die of preventable cancer okay all right anyways yeah so.
2: the individual mandate
0: <laughs> yeah that kind of shit okay so the reason this changed over this this whole situation switched was because in 1955 a couple of dudes who were up to no good started making trouble the libertarian neighborhood. They were named Dean Russell Man, uh, Hood.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Dean Russell and Leonard Reed. So Leonard Reed was an absolute quack. He served in the U.S. Army Air Service in World War I, Founded the <laughs> Foundation for Economic Education in 1946, and worked for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. He was just like a businessman through and through. And the foundation for economic education was kind of like the
2: predecessor to all of the these Charles different The Charles Koch Foundation things. and the fucking yep. University of Chicago Economics Department.
0: Yeah, like the Ludwig von, Ludwig von Mises Institute and the Cato Institute. It was like the predecessor to yeah. all of these random different
2: the things. The Austrian school. Mm-hmm.
0: So this Leonard Reed guy was real big into like the resistance movement against the social gospel of the new deal. He was like big into kind of like evangelical Christianity around the time that FDR was trying to like save American capitalism from a massively organized labor force in the US who was about to just go start guillotining people in the streets because the entire system kind of fucked itself in the great depression. FDR was trying to like drag liberalism just past the brink of getting fucking beheaded on the street corner, right? And this guy was like, actually the new deal is extremely inefficient and it gives too much power to the government, blah, 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 blah. Like that kind of person is who this Leonard Reed guy was.
2: Yeah, part of the uh, the backlash, like the capital strike, was he leading that? did he do the intellectual arm of it? He was yeah, like, here, allow me to produce Here's a study that agrees with me that I paid for. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That they, they
0: were like the founders of this whole situation here. So Leonard Reed was that guy. <laughs> Dean Russell was his friend. He was a writer. And they deliberately wanted to reclaim the word libertarian from the dirty socialists who would cut into their bottom line. And they wanted to they wanted to get libertarianism to mean like neoliberalism and not socialism. So here's a quote from Dean Russell. Many of us call ourselves liberals. And it is true that the word liberal once described persons who respected the individual and feared the use of mass compulsions. But the leftists have now corrupted the once proud term to identify themselves and their program of more government ownership of property and more control over persons. As a result, Those of us who believe in freedom must explain that when we call ourselves liberals. We mean liberals in the uncorrupted, classical sense. At best, this is awkward and subject to misunderstanding. Here is a suggestion. Let those of us who love liberty trademark and reserve for our own use the good and honorable word
2: libertarian. Yeah, my pussy has never been (laughs) drier. It's literally the most de-rousing thing I've ever heard.
0: Yeah. So from the very beginning, there's been a deliberate effort to reclaim the word libertarian from, you know, the Proudhons, from the De Jacques, who are using it to kind of, you know, bolster the individual, bolster the person, bolster the worker against the injustices of the state and the injustices of hierarchy. And they want to reclaim that. And guess why? It's because they're all rich motherfuckers they're all rich and sitting on the US Chamber of Commerce and they have a vested interest in making sure that hmm. you know the word libertarian can mean something as close to like anarcho capitalism businesses can do whatever the hell they want whoever has the most money has the most power like they have a vested interest in making sure that that status quo remains the same
1: but with all the connotations of being free to do like whatever you want
0: Exactly. Right. Like, isn't, isn't Mm -hmm. that kind of where the whole ideology kind of breaks down is okay. Like, it's super great to think about when it's just an individual person. You're like, yeah, I have all my liberty. Like no one can infringe upon me. It's like the the non-aggression principle. That's what it is. Thank you for helping with that one. Thanks guys. Non-aggression principle. So like the, the whole libertarian, the whole libertarian thing is like super great to think about whenever you're thinking like individual sovereignty, the non-aggression principle, like the state can't infringe upon my rights and blah, blah, blah. But you know, it breaks down the second you add a second person to that thing and you're like, oh, how do you actually cooperate to manage uh scarce resources? You fucking can't, you morons. Um, it actually goes down to whoever has the most power and the most control over those resources. Murray Rothbard, who's an economist. Economist, <laughs> excuse me. Murray Rothbard, who's
2: an economist. So sure, for what? In <laughs> classic Classic Alex. Just <laughs> fucking the wrong syllable. Good job. <laughs> Dude, listen. I can, I can once get an episode, anything. I swear to God. Okay, I can make this I leave so them in when I edit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I do too on purpose. I'm like, let's uh, see who picks up on it. It's almost like you're doing it on purpose. Like it's a bit. Like one of those things we talked about early on. Like what if just every single time I do this? You know? Or like uh, mispronounce someone's name every single time. Or whatever and it's like well you know what alex likes to pick one word that as long as it's five syllables long and would make him sound smart otherwise he mispronounces it
1: like cholera
2: it's masterful master stroke
0: <laughs> didn't we gonna do a bit where we're gonna introduce ourselves as a random like brigade commander or something every single time it's gonna be like a brigade commander and like a battalion star major and we're gonna go find their linkedin profiles and just pretend to be them for the entire episode i <laughs> was
2: like one of the things Get we're sued. gonna do Should go back to it. Yeah. Can't get sued by that. No, they're public figures, man. You know, they don't have any. Yeah, uh... I paid their salary. Okay. I'm a taxpayer. (laughs) I own you, bitch. (laughs) So Murray Rothbard.
0: He was an economist and leading theoretician of anarcho-capitalism. He took up (laughs) this fight.
1: Are you sure it's not Murray?
0: No, I'm not sure. We just talked about how I can't pronounce anything right. (laughs) Murray Rothbard. Murray Rothbard. I have no clue. How to say their names, and you would think a professional podcaster would go look up, you know, a YouTube video of someone saying their names. Not going to do Murray. that. I don't give a shit. We also don't make any
2: money. We're not professional. <laughs> 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 We're losing Yet. a lot of money, actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
0: so yeah, Murray Rothbard. He kind of like took up this fight in the 1960s and like really began driving the new libertarian movement. But he was kind of the one who equated the word, not from like this neoliberal tradition that Russell and Reed were talking about. He was kind of the one who pushes it a little bit farther right into like anarcho-capitalism territory. So the transition from libertarian socialism to anarcho-capitalism is not like a natural sociological development where it's like, okay literally literally doesn't mean literally anymore kind of thing the development of language it's deliberate and it's been planned out and it's been planned out by the exact same people who went on to found the cato institute and the mises institute by the boys
2: down in the marketing department you know yeah The, the same people that uh tried to get smedley butler to overthrow the government yep
0: all these little astroturfed think tanks that exist to push out what is the equivalent of ideological propaganda these guys who ushered in the this little language transition went all went on to co-found or feature prominently or write for or be on the board of directors for all of these different little think tanks and if you're like listening to this and you're like okay we're now we're just talking about like ideological propaganda. It's like there's the big scary Koch brothers in the sky who are like orchestrating, you know, the anarcho capitalist market pressure. But there's only one. Though. Stuff. I feel
2: like, okay, look, hope so. Yeah, there is so. only one. I forget. I saw what he looked like recently. And I don't know is why. It's like, I thought he looked like someone completely different for so long. Yeah. And I was like, that's not, that's the fucking Koch brother. It's like he just, but he's out of step. He's out of step with the, the rest of the the ruined class you know he's like doing his own fucking thing and everyone else is like what do you yeah we all know who he is he said the quiet part loud (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah
0: so the whole situation is not as complicated as you know charles Koch orchestrating anarcho-capitalism across the world it's really just as simple as george Soros is the real evil one remember that yeah it's it's really as simple as these people stand to make a lot of money if more people believe in anarcho-capitalism, right? If you don't believe me, look at the donors, look at the board of directors for all of these different nonprofit organizations. I'm going to take just the, the Mises Institute now. Bob Luddy is the CEO of Air. Andrew Napolitano, Fox News columnist who was fired for sexually harassing a male coworker. Steven Berger, Co founder of a private equity firm that acquires for profit educational tech companies. Gary well, Schlauerbaum. Gary Schlauerbaum. Schlauerbaum. <laughs> Former managing director of Morgan Stanley. And of course, all of this bankrolled by the Coke Industries. Why do they do this? We've talked in previous episodes about how you know a billionaire will spend $500 million to ensure that they can keep the other $500 million that they have. If you have hundreds of millions of dollars to throw around and it's the equivalent of like you or me throwing around a hundred bucks and someone came up to you and told you like hey I'll write all of these articles telling the entire world about how you're a titan of industry and how you came to your wealth and riches and power through your own like personal grandeur and your own like personal drive and ambition and motivation and intelligence and work ethic like yeah, of course, I'll do that for you. Of course, I'd throw out a hundred bucks for someone to just blow hot air up a mass the entire time. It's really just the material conditions of these people make it the logical response for them to do. Like, yeah, they're going to be libertarian anarcho-capitalist because that's what's in their best interest, both personally to do, both professionally to do, and just like morally for them. In order to like fall asleep at night, they have to know that. I'm not actually exploiting hundreds of thousands of workers. I'm Charles Koch, and I'm not actually the one who's instigating, you know, these, these like class action lawsuits for worker injustice, you know, in all of his different like chemical plants and shit like that. That's, that's not actually my fault, because I ascribe to the ideology that says, you know, we all rise to our position off of our own merit, blah, 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 blah. like that kind of, it's just... The material conditions make it so that, of course, these people are going to invest into the Cato Institute and all this random shit like that. The word libertarian means completely opposite of what it used to mean back in the day. And any of the old libertarians would look at someone like fucking Ben Shapiro, who claims to be a libertarian or a neocon or whatever the hell, and they'd be like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? And now, as a result of all of that, you have all of these self-important edgy 15 year olds who are going to read a Cato Institute publication, because it's the very first thing that pops up onto Google when it says like, how do I politics Mm -hmm. and they're going to throw down life, limb and eyesight with their (laughs) Taekwondo fucking Brown belt for a billionaire who will literally never know their name or ever give a shit about them beyond the revenue that they can generate or the money that they can give to their massive billion dollar, like international organizations and i see these people all the fucking time on social media there'll be like a post where someone's like hey i think we should treat our workers slightly better and like you'll find you know intern 5600 and whatever popped up on this network and be like um actually jeff bezos is like the best among us and we should all be licking his toes day in and day out You should be thankful to have a job because of these Hmm. titans of industry, these entrepreneurs who are, you know, gracious enough to give us.
1: They love to say, like, they're free to pay you whatever, charge, do whatever conditions they want, but you're free to go work wherever you want.
0: John Galt. John Galt is, was the, that was Atlas Shrugged, right? The Ayn Rand book where they talk about, it was it was this guy who got into trouble yeah. because he was literally too good at moving shit at, at being industrious. He had like a train that was going way too fast and it was moving material across the country way too efficiently, so the government had to slow it down to make sure that you know other government trains could coexist with this one high speed rail train and then he got fed up with government intervention, so he went. Galt. He went John Galton. He disappeared from, you know, American politics and the American way of life and just like went off to I don't know, some like libertarian utopia where he could, you know, whip slave boys in the corner or something like that. And then all of, you know, American society fell apart because all of the Jeff Bezoses and the Elon Musks decided to, you know, pack their bags and move somewhere else.
1: To the moon.
0: <laughs> yeah, to the fucking moon, Jesus. And uh yeah, that's, that's like Atlas Shrugged is this like this weird concoction of, it's, it's like it pretends that there's any circumstance in which someone like Bezos would just disappear. And every single person on the planet wouldn't be just elated for the fact that this <laughs> motherfucker is gone. <laughs> I had to construct this entire like fantasy scenario about how if this one person, this like one CEO disappeared out of the world, we would all somehow be worse off for it despite the fact that, you know, usually the CEO is like the least important person at the company, but anyways.
1: I feel like it just never is getting lower. Like, are you refilling that off screen? Yeah. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> are you serious? I'm just like holding it up to my lips and not actually drinking. it. <laughs> so we've talked about how libertarians are. Libertarians were like originally the, the left libertarians, the anarcho-communists, the socialists, yeah. they're cool as shit. Massive bushy beards with just like breadsticks, stuff. St- st- stuffed in them the entire time. And over the course of a whole bunch of fucking like 1000000 weird dweebs in the Cato Institute, that term has kind of transformed into what we know and love today, which is the type of person who's gonna go out onto the street and protest for their individual sovereignty, you know, on a road that was paid for by the government, you know, with a, defended by a police force that was, you know, funded with your taxpayer dollars. And like using the, the principles of free speech and freedom of expression and freedom of assembly, you know, that were essentially invented by a social structure that they had nothing to do with individually in generating. So they get to benefit from society, but they don't have to give anything back. Cool guys. So the term libertarian has evolved, been kind of like forcefully shifted over time, but I do want to tell a kind of interesting tangent side story of a guy that I came across whenever I was researching all of this. Carl Hess. This dude was Barry Goldwater's speechwriter in 1960 and 1964. Libertarian and anarcho-capitalist. He basically wrote the entire platform for the Republican Party whenever Goldwater was running against Johnson. So. Go out of limb and say that this dude probably has some like fucked up, I don't know, misogynistic, probably racist views that I haven't like researched a whole lot into. I'm just going to guess based off of the company that he keeps. But at one point, this guy was a member of the IWW, same as, uh, you know, our boy Dijak earlier, and the SDS, the Students for a Democratic Society.
1: Well, that kind of makes sense, though. Yeah. The SDS part because. They were, at that time, like, their main thing was being against Vietnam. And libertarians are always, like, anti-war. Well, yeah. they're anti, like, U.S. intervention. Like, they're losing their minds right now about Afghanistan.
0: Oh, yeah. He legitimately believed, this uh, This Carl Hans guy, legitimately believed that right libertarians and left libertarians had more in common than they had with neoliberals. And I'm not sure that he's wrong. I want to give you a quote real quick. We used to have a labor movement in this country until IWW leaders were killed or imprisoned you could tell labor unions had become captive when business and government began to praise them they're destroying the militant black leaders the same way now if the slaughter continues before long liberals will be asking what happened to the blacks why aren't they militant anymore oh i mean that sounds like something i would i would hear just about anyone saying like anyone that I respected saying in like the 60s and 70s and shit like yeah can't go wrong there right he criticized big business he criticized american suburbia he criticized the military industrial complex he worked with the black panther party and protested the vietnam war just like you're talking about earlier there is a stunning amount of overlap with these you know edgy 15 year old atheist nerds with the people who eventually go on to like kind of like intellectually develop into I don't know anarchists or something, anarcho-communist. Like philosophical underpinnings of both of these ideologies are kinda I can kind of see where the overlap is, right? I mean, fuck, look at me. He uh this dude, this Carl Hess guy, eventually went full quack. He got at the tail end of his career, he got full on into paleoconservatism, which I is can't that? no idea.
2: Oh, that's the thing but, the guy uh the guy told me he was when i went out to dinner with that that one weirdo that i had you know i guess he would, i he and i went way back more or less and i ran into him again and i was like hey let's go to dinner and he did and he started saying some crazy shit and i was like oh he's a political weirdo got it and i asked him i was like so how do you identify politically and he says paleo conservative and i was like "What? Well, like you don't like a?" Conservative that doesn't like carbs, like I don't. Yeah, you <laughs> so, only eat I- like seeds and. Meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different than a keto <laughs> conservative. All right, like don't confuse the two. The, the and then, but that was when I I just started asking him questions and doing the whole q a thing, like the Socrates gadfly method, and uh, I was asking him what he thinks the number one problem in society is. He said the elites. I said, okay, cool, I can work with that. The elites are the problem. Got it. And we kept walking. I walked him all the way into. Uh, Medicare for all is like an immediate requirement for uh, social welfare. And then that he, uh, he thought wealth inequality was the number one problem facing our, our generation. And I was like, so what the fuck is it? turns out his paleo conservative thing, he summed up like this, tell me what you think of this, but that the heterosexual nuclear family is the most important social institution and that all laws and cultural traditions should be, uh, should surround the protection of that institution. That was what paleoconservative meant to him. That's all I know about it. That's Uh, my Okay,
1: so it's like the the caveman, like, patriarch defending his, like, little unit.
2: Yeah, I guess. Which is, like, again, (laughs) hyper simplistic. Like, reducing it to literally fucking baby food uh, equivalent intellectually. Just fucking, you don't need any teeth to chew this shit up. It's just so fucking simple. Like, man have woman. Yeah. and even like any anthropologist will tell you, like none of that shit makes sense. Guess the same way they derive their their gender politics uh, from shit. They're like, well, look, man manhood and womanhood go way back. They've been around since we crawled out of the fucking slime.
1: Honestly, I might be able to get behind it if it means I just don't have to work or do anything.
2: So this Carl Hess guy,
0: the paleo conservative, did some did some kind of like big ball shit that I, I got to give him some respect for. He got audited by the IRS at the end of the 60s, which he said was retaliation for the fact that he worked for Goldwater. Sure. Whenever the audit came in, the audit was for like, hey, we're going to like repossess 100% of like everything that you earn for the next however many years because you probably lied on just about every single tax filing that you ever did for your entire life. Whenever that audit came in, he uh, he replied by sending the IRS a copy of the Declaration of Independence and told them to get fucked. He would never again pay taxes. So, guess guess how he never again paid taxes. He stopped working and he lived off his rich wife. <laughs> <laughs> he got really big into barter, like old school fucking passing around bars of soap so he could get groceries or something type of barter which i imagine to be like the 60s equivalent of like couponers you know those people who go to the the grocery store and they have an entire like book full of coupons and they're going to get you know 10 percent off and 15 percent off here and actually if i combine these two different coupons i get the entire thing for free and i can save my entire household like 200 dollars every single month it's like that guy except in the 60s and he's fucking i don't know passing around horseshoes or something whatever whatever barterers do and in his later life this dude moved out to virginia built an affordable house that apparently cost just like ten thousand dollars in 70s money but it was like fully eco-friendly like passive heating wind power solar energy only used like secondhand refurbished tools Went full survivalist right he uh, he went on a symbolic run for governor in 1992, and whenever whenever he was asked by a reporter what he would do if he was actually elected, he said, "I'm going to demand an immediate recount because <laughs> that's bullshit. I clearly didn't win." So I like this guy. I don't know anything like I'm sure this dude has a whole lot of like problematic sides to him, but I like him because this dude stuck by his guns. The uh you know the whole Anarcho capitalist thing didn't didn't work out, whenever Goldwater clearly didn't win in nineteen sixty four. But you know, he only he only used that to reinforce his existing worldview. He dived into deeper into paleoconservatism, went full off the grid, went full survivalist, and you know, I gotta respect that at the end of the day.
2: People that go completely off the grid and full survivalist, like I don't know, I'm thinking of that movie Into the Wild. I'm just kinda hoping he like ate the wrong berry and starved to death. It'd be funny.
1: Okay, that guy didn't actually die of the berry, though. What was it? He died because of cryptosporidium.
0: Is that a new Bitcoin? Like, what is that?
1: You should know what that is. It's a spore former. It's found in, like, untreated water. So he was basically drinking, like, poop water. <laughs> and he got, like, diarrhea so, so bad. So he like,
2: giardia or something?
1: <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't know if it was crypto or, or giardia or whatever, one of those things. You know about that.
2: Why, you, why, why would you, you know about that? Why are you talking down to me about
1: this? Oh, you would know about this. I feel like in all of your training, you, you guys learn about this kind of stuff. Not the, You're a Boy Scout. Not,
2: yeah, Not like the Latin name for it. <laughs> Drinking poop water was something I learned how not to do. It turns out that not, doesn't take a whole lot of training. It's pretty instinctive. You would think. You would think. Interestingly enough, this Carl Heskine,
0: there's a, a Reuters article. Written by, oh fuck, I went not fuck that name up so bad. Okay. Is it Reuters? Is it Reuters or Reuters? Ah, dude, stop. I don't know how to say words.
1: <laughs> if it was Reuters, it would be R-O-I-D-E-R-S.
0: <laughs> like, ragers. <laughs> how to pronounce <laughs> Reuters. I'm looking this up. It's Reuters. I said it right. Fuck all of you. All right.
2: Anyways. No, so- you just said it's like.
1: I agreed with you. I said it would be, it would have to be spelled differently.
2: You just said it's Reuters. Fuck all of you. And I was like, that's what I said.
1: Oh, shit.
0: (laughs) There's a a Reuters article that claims he is the ideological grandfather of both the Tea Party and the Occupy movement because of his radical positions against concentrated power in the hands of financial and stockholding elites. This Reuters article claims that essentially he invented the language of the 1% versus the 99%. And I'll prove it. With this quote that he wrote in 1975 in his book called Dear America 1.6% of the adult population owns 82% of all stock, and thus actually owns American business and industry. In a very real sense, that tiny 1% of the population faces the other 99% across a barrier of very real self interest. That tiny 1% has been accumulating more as the years go on, not less. The key to that accumulation is assuring that the people who make up the other ninety-nine percent are sharply restricted in what power and privilege they communicate. Tell me if I didn't if I didn't read that to you without any context behind it, that could be a fucking Bernie Sanders quote right there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Turns out you don't have to be like like I guess calling elites a problem doesn't and it's not solely owned by the left, you know? That's, yeah. It's a, almost like the distinction is who you call an elite. Angelo Cota VA guy that had that book, The Ruling Class that we talked about that one of those earlier episodes, uh, who was like the right wing version of it and had this intro to that book by Rush Limbaugh. He was uh he would call pretty much any liberal in the Democratic Party an elite. Like mm-hmm. liberal senators and, and presidential candidates and whatnot. He called them elites. It's like, okay, in a sense, yeah, but like Oh, Joe Biden's pretty poor. He's not like an economic elite. He's just a power elite. So, yeah. like, what's the difference? He's different than Charles Koch.
0: And they all, they like throw the academic elites against the wall
2: as if, you know,
0: some guy who's, who has like a PhD in systems engineering or something like that is an elite because he has more education than people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? The, the, the term elite rightfully should only apply to you know the people who hold the actual reins of power which is control over the means of production anything else is just you know your own projection of people that you do or don't like don't like them they're an elite regardless of how much money they make regardless of how much capital they own regardless of whether or not they're the ceo or the board board of directors of you know this company or that company they're an elite if i don't like them I think the basis, like this, this sense that the entire structure of this system, the fact that elites exist in general, like that has been grasped at people on both sides throughout the entire political spectrum, up, down, left and right. It doesn't matter because there's, there's a sense that all of this is fucked up. There is some kind of way where, or like there's some reason that certain people hold power, hold privilege over others. And, you know. I'm I'm the one who has the right idea about it, you know. It's it's because it, you know, it's because they're getting free access to to colleges that they shouldn't get access to because their GPA isn't high enough. It's just because they're black, like they're they're the ones getting all the privilege, blah blah blah. Or it's someone who's saying like, okay, th- these like freeloading, you know, people just living off of welfare, they're the elites because they don't have to do anything, you know, they're just taking my taxpayer dollars and living off of it. It's the misapplication of that term and it's like the misapplication of your ire against groups of people who actually are standing nowhere near the levers of power like that's the problem right We're talking about the ideologies that share these underpinnings with each other like how do you distinguish between them and the answer is you have to take like a very hard-nosed material look at who actually controls what's going on not joe biden frankly it's the people who are donating to these campaigns. It's the people who are pumping hundreds of million dollars into the Cato Institute and random shit like that. It's the people who have access to the means of production and the means of production are, do you have enough capital to pay people wages? Dude, if I had like $10 million right now and I could just pay people to write whatever I wanted to do, whatever I wanted to throw together this website or that app, or i don't know go fucking dig this hole in the middle of nowhere like those are the people who actually are close to the levers of power it's not random joe schmo on the road who using snap benefits or something like that off your taxpayer dollar fucking crypto libertarian weirdos
1: but i think that's hard for people to accept they don't want to accept that they are that powerless yeah because if you believe that you know that it's Literally just these few people who are in charge of these few corporations and these few, I don't know, Cato Institute or whatever, are really pulling all the strings. That just means that you're, you're nothing.
0: Yeah. It's like the existential dread that it implies in terms of like, you go stand out in a starry night and you look up at the entire universe and you're like, oh shit, I actually don't matter. I'm so tiny in comparison to everything.
1: It's just probably why Carl moved to Virginia. Yeah, (laughs) and just lived in his ten thousand dollar house.
0: Yeah, there is there is a terror that comes with that. There is like a kind of like staring reality in the face and being like, you either accept it, you accept that there are people who have more power, more power than you, and you are aligned against them. They will try to extract as much wealth as you from as possible before either you die or they die, or or, 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 you can construct this entire 15 year old fantasy about how actually the non aggression. I
1: can get there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can get there.
1: It's the government is the one getting in my way, and I can get there if they just stay out of the way. Never mind the fact that the government's not really in charge of all of this.
0: <laughs> yeah, the government doesn't distribute capital to like venture enterprises or anything like that. You know, it's capitalists that do that. The fact that your job sucks, you're getting paid close to minimum wage, you don't have enough to support a one-bedroom apartment in literally any state in this entire country. That's not the government's fault. Well, somewhat is. It's the people who are paying you those wages, right? It's the fact that we've constructed this entire system to make sure that if you don't work for some billionaire for the rest of your life, you are literally going to be poor and hungry until you die on the streets of exposure.
1: Plus the corporations are the ones deciding what the government's going to do.
0: True. Big fat true.
1: Oh, and by the way, Carl, he died of complications from a heart transplant. Oof. wonder if he paid for that heart transplant out of pocket.
0: (laughs) No, his wife paid for it, actually. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always do respect people who, like, died the way that they lived. Um, who was it? It was a...
1: Uh... So that was part one, where we laid the historical groundwork of what libertarianism is. Tune in next week to part two, where we discuss the theoretical framework. How was that?
2: <laughs> that was That's good. so awkward. It's <laughs> a good wrap-up. Thank you very much. You sound uh, like we got the actual PBS lady on here. Um, <laughs> the thing I, want, I think it's important to say is, like, Today was a crazy day in the news, and I know we're doing this libertarian, you know, history part one and, and criticism part two, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, just acknowledge the massive humanitarian crisis that's uh, brewing in Afghanistan and how rapidly the Taliban retook everything. And then the the effect that's having on all of uh, the Americans in particular who spent a lot of time and sacrificed a lot to go over there because they thought they might have thought they were doing something good, or they might have been lied to about what they were doing, or might have have doubts about it, and are having to watch everything that they tried, everything they strived for, just erode in the course of seven days. I don't know. I think it's important to acknowledge that. We'll we'll probably address it uh, more thoroughly at a later time uh, when I think we're able to talk about it because I think there's a lot that's still developing. Uh, but if uh, if you're in a bad mood because of that. Um, just uh, keep coming back, all right? We'll 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 try to cheer you up, yeah. It's a fucked situation, and it's hard
0: to tell someone who's who's in that situation, who sacrificed a lot in Afghanistan, who probably sacrificed their entire young adult life and some of their friends or family members, and um, try to tell them that we, we shouldn't have been there in the first place and it's a tragedy that all of this is happening. You should be mad and you should be angry about it. Like this, this frustration that you feel is 100% valid and vindicated. Um, And I hope we can do something about it, frankly. I hope that there's a way that we can end these generational wars from ever starting. Stop them from ever starting again. Yeah, Yeah. it's a fucked up situation. Do you
2: wanna talk about it or you want to hit us up or you need someone to reach out to uh you know how to find us it's uh what our emails pillow scream radio at com. you can hit us up on twitter uh we're also at pillow pod you can try instagram but no one fucking looks at it so don't uh actually don't do that